Hey there everyone and welcome back to The Longest Night. We are a Game of Thrones show on the Podbreed network and we work with our friends at the Narth subreddit as well. My name is Rob and I've seen every single episode of Game of Thrones at least half a dozen times. And my name is Lizzie and I'm watching every single episode of Game of Thrones for the very first time. If you want to, you can find us on Twitter. We are at LongestNightGOT, that is at LongestNightGOT. And we are also under the exact name, uh, exact same name on Etsy, where we have a tiny store selling pin badges at the moment. Our title music was provided by friend of the podcast, Edward Thomas, and you can find all of his available work in the show notes if you're so inclined. Um, Just a little thing before we start this week's episode. I mentioned it on socials, but I forgot to mention it um, in our last episode for the Spoils of War. Uh, Is that last week I spoke to director of photography Fabian Wagner, who Mm. worked on numerous episodes of Game of Thrones, uh, The Laws of Gods and Men, which had Tyrion's trial in it, um, Hard Home, uh the gift battle of the bastards the winds of winter and a couple of episodes still to come that i won't reveal the titles of because i don't want to spoil lizzie as to uh (laughs) what those episodes contain but everyone who's listening probably knows what episodes they are um so yeah it was just a sort of like a 40 45 minute chat he was calling me from uh switzerland and he was he was really nice um i hope you really enjoy that interview that's going to be out at the end of this season so after our episode for season seven episode seven Okay, it's time for a bit of a rush around Westeros, I think. This week, we are going to be discussing Season 7, Episode 5 of Game of Thrones, entitled Eastwatch. It was written by Dave Hill and directed by Matt Sharkman, making his second and final appearance as a director on the show. It was first broadcast on the 13th of August 2017 to an audience of 10.72 million people. Uh, Lizzie, what do we make of Eastwatch? For me, this is the first myth of season seven. Um, it's yeah. probably the most plot-heavy episode we've had of the show so far, I think. But yeah. it had so much plot to get through that one character turns up in no fewer than three locations in just under an hour. Yeah. Like this, I mean, this episode was always going to struggle compared to the thrilling conclusion of the last episode. But aside from a handful of intriguing and welcome reunions, I wasn't expecting the tone of this one to be quite as tepid as it turned out to be. Yeah, um, it's it's something I kind of alluded to when we covered season five. Uh, Dave Hill. Uh, who wrote this episode, the four episodes that he's written, three of them are among my least favourites mm. in the show. Uh, one of them, which was season six, is uh, Home. Uh, that's one of my absolute favourites. I-, I love that one. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sons of the Harpy, this one, and there's one in season eight. They're like three of my bottom ten okay. episodes. I think they kind of give him the job of just the putting things into place episodes that... Like, I remember Sons of the Harpy barely moves at all. And yeah. this kind of goes the opposite way, which is that I think too much happens and it goes to too many places. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, there's a line in this episode where Davos says, nothing fucks you harder than time. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. 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 That's way true. to kind of inadvertently seal the deal on, like, basically put the point across that this episode is, yeah... I think this is the one episode this season that actually really suffers from like the short episode count compared oh, to previous seasons. I yeah. think cause there's about three seasons worth, three episodes worth of stuff For in this sure. episode. Yeah, um, yeah, like one big incident bumps into another. The emotional impact every time it gets a bit lessened, a uh, bit difficult to track and organize this episode thematically in terms of atmosphere, focus. Um, still a really impressively assembled piece of TV on the greatest show I've ever seen. Um, like Daenerys' scene with the Tarleys, Varys and Tyrion's conversations, like, you know, good yeah. stuff. Um, but I think two or three episodes worth of content with the way that news spreads in this episode. Um, like normally the show would say something in one episode and then do it in the next. Yeah. Whereas this one, it's just like, once you've heard it said, it happens. And That's exactly it, yeah. I do think it all winds up with this. On this rewatch, I think this is my least favourite episode of the show. Um, But we're going to go through it anyway. We're going to do it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) You will have to kill me too. Step back and shut your mouth. Who are you? 
stupid boy. I'm Dickon Tarly, son of Randall Tarly. You are the future of your house. This war has already wiped one great house from the world. Don't let it happen again. Bend the knee. I will not. Your Grace, nothing scrubs bold notions from a man's head like a few weeks in a dark cell. I meant what I said. I'm not here to put men in chains. If that becomes an option, many will take it. I gave them a choice. They made it. Your Grace, you stop beheading entire I'm families. I'm not beheading anyone. On the Rose Road, after saving Jamie's life by pushing him into the Blackwater Rush, Bronn pulls Jamie from the water, away from the battle with Daenerys. The pair realise quickly that the Lannisters can't defeat Daenerys in the field because of her dragons. Back at the scene of the battle, Daenerys tells the soldiers left standing that they have a choice, to bend the knee or be sentenced to death. Among those who refuse to bend the knee are Randall and Dickon Tarly, whom Daenerys executes, despite Tyrion's protests. Um. You were not so keen on Daenerys at the end of last week's episode, and how do you feel about her now? Um, I'm about the same. Um, like, for all her talk about leaving the world a better place and when she came into it, she's awfully keen to obliterate anybody who dares to oppose her, however race, you know, however respectful they may be about it. Like, yeah. don't get me wrong, I'm not a fan of Randall Tarly, you know that, but he absolutely had a point in saying that he already had a queen, and what right does this random person have to tell him what to do? If he does bend a knee, not only does he become a traitor to his own queen and commander, but he'd be bending the knee for someone who clearly doesn't give two shits about him, as evidenced by the fact that he's dead within minutes of saying no. I think the the kneel or die thing, it, like, it gets results, but the implications of ruling through fear, they're not exactly... Well, they're not exactly good ones. No, of course um, not. <laughs> but, but this is always the contradiction that's kind of lived at the heart of Daenerys along this uh, along this journey that she's been on. I think this is something I said a couple of weeks ago where seeing Daenerys's story arc up to this point as a traditional arc about female empowerment as someone who rises from very little to become a lot, mm. uh, it can be read that way, but reading it exclusively that way is leaving out a huge chunk of Daenerys' story where she's always been... This is what I find so interesting about Game of Thrones, which is that characters on the show tend not to have traditional arcs. They tend to be people who are constantly caught between two things. And Daenerys is someone who is constantly caught between wanting to rule and wanting her birthright, yeah. but wanting to make the world a fairer place. And the two at the moment are kind of... They're, sort of, they're combining into this, you know... I want to rule, and if I can't rule, the world will be a worse place. And if if I can rule, then the world will be a better place. And, you know, it's like uh, the, the Randall and Dickon Tarleys of the world who have, um, you know, are opposed to me because I'm, you know, foreign and want to change the world and, you know, I, I'm not their queen and stuff like that. It's, it, well, aren't we all just better off without them anyway? And it's yeah. interesting watching Daenerys convince herself of things like this, where yeah. she basically says, join me or I kill you. Yeah. And uh, because yeah. Daenerys is so anti-slavery and anti-prisoners that she considers it, because she considers death better than slavery, which we could talk about that for hours, but I don't know if that's necessarily the right conclusion for Daenerys to come to. She's a bit judge, jury and executioner. Yeah, definitely. That, you know, bend or die philosophy is totalitarian. It's... You think of someone like John, who's kind of the opposite of that, where, you know, he was sort of thrust into being a leader reluctantly. Like, he never particularly mentioned wanting to be one, but everyone no. just liked him so much that he kind of became one by accident twice. And yet, it's kind of the opposite thing mm. with Daenerys, where it's like, from from the start, she has believed that she ought to be the leader, and... If anybody opposes that, then that's their problem. And they're a problem that needs to be expunged. Hmm. What do you make of Randall and Dickon's actual deaths? Because I think they make it look dignified until they burn to death screaming. Yeah, they do. Um, and, of course, anyone would burn to death screaming. That's just, you know, because yeah. you're, you're still alive for that for about, what, five, ten seconds until you just burn to death. But... Yeah, but yeah, it's it's amazing how they made me respect someone like Randall Tarley. Hmm. Yeah, I think that 
it's that you know i think that's the point though is that they make it look dignified and then the reality hits and they're both just screaming yeah they're just and it's all ash after that yeah um i think the 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 character probably gets more revealed about them in this scene in particular is Tyrion because i think he's biting off more than he can chew now like Mm. daenerys has kind of had enough of you know he's gone from three episodes ago sort of convincing her to repeat his words about not being queen of the ashes and now she's happy to Tyrion's walking through the ashes that uh that Daenerys has caused in the previous episode and then he watched two people get turned to ash and so it's like well she seems fine with being queen of the ashes to be perfectly honest yeah and that could very easily have been Jamie or Bronn you know good segue there um I think it gets straight to the point that Jamie, what we, what he was doing was very foolish and that Bronn basically also saved Jamie for his gold, not for saving Jamie's life. Only yeah. I get to kill you. Yeah, what do you make of that opening scene? Yeah, I thought it was good. Um, obviously knew they would both survive, but I think they did a good job of putting over like why Bronn saved him. And it's not, like you say, it's not because Bronn likes him or anything. It's just because, yeah, you have something I want and... Yeah, he's not Mr. Selfless. No, but you don't have to be. Well, he's not making it easy. The Northern Lords are proud. These are mother and father's chambers. And? Nothing. Don't do that. What? Say what you mean. You always liked nice things. Made you feel better than everyone. Are you angry with me? They were insulting John. And you sat there and listened. I listened to their complaints, which is my responsibility as Lady of Winterfell. At Winterfell, Brandon Stark wargs into ravens who fly beyond the wall, and through their eyes he witnesses the army of the dead marching towards Eastwatch by the sea, and immediately requests that Maester Walken send letters warning every lord in Westeros. Later on, Arya witnesses Sansa holding court with the Northern Lords and becomes suspicious of her older sister, privately telling Sansa that she believes she is about to betray Jon and displace him as the leader in the North. Aware of a rift between the sisters, Littlefinger attempts to divide them further. Fully aware that Arya is following him, he hides a letter sent by Sansa in Season 1, begging Rob Stark to bend the knee to free Ned from imprisonment, and leaves it for Arya to find. Uh, Okay... Um, mm. Oh, I think this is the beginning of my least favourite little bit of the show. Uh, the Winterfell stuff. Uh, I don't like it this week. Um, yeah, I like some bits better than others. Some bits work for me. Um, the last bit yeah. really doesn't. Yeah, what do you make of it? Um, like, Which bits do you like, first of all? Well, I've got... That's a nice jump scare from the, the Night King there. I did like that. Oh, looking at the the ravens. Yeah, look, looking right at the camera, like, Ugh. okay. <laughs> um, I also like the little chat between Sansa and Arya because it kind of, um, I'm sort of paraphrasing Sarah Hughes here, but it reveals how much they seem to, they seem to not realise how much the other has changed. Like in Arya's mind, Sansa is still the the pampered princess who's you know bred for royalty and. Arya yeah. is still the scrappy, toothless, toss-talking, you know, yeah. she, she can sort of, she can talk big, but she can't really put it into action, at least not that Sansa's seen. We know she yeah. can, but, hmm. but yeah, I think that I did like that, but as I say, that, that last bit with the, um, the sneaking around and Littlefinger, okay. Yeah, yeah um... I mean, my little note is that Bran is flying after all, just like the Three-Eyed Raven promised at the end of season four. You will fly. And yep, okay, he's definitely doing that. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm not a huge fan of anything that happens after that, though. Like, I believe that Arya and Sansa wouldn't get on immediately, but this feels like a piece is missing. I feel like the lurch to tension and drama is a bit unusual. Like That's a good point, it, yeah. It kind of goes for... I feel like there's a piece missing. Again, this episode, it just feels like there's something missing in between various bits of it, where it's like they've jumped from A to C without the B. Mm. It just it, And it feels like they've lurched from, like, Arya's looking at Sansa holding court, and she's immediately just going, like, 
she wants to betray John and oh I need to do something about this and oh I bet you love you know staying in mother and father's chambers don't you and it's like and then I'm sat there thinking like is Arya playing the game of faces here like is she really mm, this mad at Sansa yeah. is she testing Sansa and it's honestly hard to tell yeah like that's true and not in a way that i find particularly intriguing and then when Littlefinger hides the letter oh my god it's like something from scooby-doo <laughs> i mean i mean scooby-doo is great but it's a kid's cartoon and game of thrones is not a kid's cartoon and it's another one of these it reminds me a little bit of season one um episode four crippled bastards and broken things which is an episode that a lot of people like but me personally never been that keen on it because tonally it feels slightly at odds with the rest of the show yeah and yeah. It feels like it's from some kind of detective show, whereas this, it feels like some Saturday morning kids' TV thing <laughs> where, like, Aya's looking for the letter and she finds it in the mattress and then, like, Littlefinger's just cowering behind the corner with a sneaky little smile on his face. And it's like, this is a guy who started a war and now yeah. he's just hiding a letter in a bed and, like, snoop- like snooping around and being all, like... You know, like, ooh, I'm all devilish and, ooh, aren't I conniving? And it's like, mm, okay. Like, if I was Littlefinger after last week with Bran, I'd have just got the fuck out of there. Like, well, with yeah. the chaos is a ladder stuff, I'd have just been like, uh, okay, I'm going to go to the Vale. I'm just going to run. But, like, you know, we don't have time for this, as John keeps saying. <laughs> and so, like, we don't have time to do all of the the intrigue. We just have to do beats now. And, like, especially in this episode, it's just beat, 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 and no time to sit and go wait what and then be given the answer like it's just wait what and then we're off and Aya and Sansa are mad at each other now there's a rift between them now there's a letter you know it's just ravens are all ravens flying all over the place in this episode and letters being left all over the place and things like I cannot believe that we start this episode in the immediate aftermath of what happened last week and we finish it to jump ahead a little bit we finish it with characters who've never met each other before going out beyond the wall to capture a member of the army of the dead yeah and all of the stuff that happens in between is just like whoa and it really does all happen at breakneck speed and i wish i wish this had been given a couple of episodes this yeah. winterfell stuff especially that's that's kind of my thought about the episode overall is that there's, there doesn't seem to be like a through line from point a to point b it's just no you know like you say you you go straight from last week and then things just happen and that's your lot. Yeah. And if you tell every maester in the Citadel to search every word of every faded scroll about the Long Night, they may find something that lets us defeat the army of the dead for good. It could be done. And this news could be authentic. It's possible. It's also possible that this message is part of a ploy by the Dragon Queen. To lure southern armies away from the lands they are currently defending, to open those lands to easy conquest? That does seem far more likely than magic birds talking to cripples. Archmaester, please. It's real. I've seen it. In Old Town, Archmaester Ebrose receives the letter sent by Maester Welkin and discusses it with the other Archmaesters, who seem sceptical. When Sam realises that the letter has been sent by Brandon Stark, who he knew, warning the rest of Westeros about the potential invasion of White Walkers, he pleads with the Maesters to take it seriously. However, the Maesters remain sceptical and dismissive, and frustrated, Sam continues his punishment of scribing old texts, in this case a High Septon's diary, while Gilly reads them aloud to him, and reveals some rather startling information buried within it. But his patience then snaps, and dismayed by the lack of attention paid to the threat of White Walkers by the Maesters of the Citadel, he leaves Old Town behind, taking Gilly, Little Sam, and Heartsbane with him. Uh, the stuff at Old Town is, is alright, yeah, he feels like the perfect counterbalance to the resigned musing of the Archmaesters. It's one of those rare moments where his kind of keenness and his, you know, aiming to please just turn to frustration and even anger at their obliviousness. It feels long overdue. Mm. And, I, I mean, yeah, the fact that he takes out on poor Gilly later on, it, it's kind of, uh, yeah, it's a sign that you need to get out of there. This is clearly a toxic environment for you. If they're not listening to you, you need to get the fuck out of there. Yes, he does. Um, I think the point of that scroll scene with Sam and the Maesters, like the point is that the Maesters just have been portrayed this season as a bit like glorified bookkeepers who are just sort of marking time. Yeah. They're not really making any progress. It's just a bunch of old men, like 
putting down and kind of being patronising to the younger, more, you know, eager upstarts. Like, oh, we've seen this all before. Like, that sort of thing. Like, Jim Broadbent has been friendly this season, but, like, there is this general, oh, no, we, we, we mustn't do this, and, oh, no, we mustn't do that. And it's like they thrive on inaction and indecisiveness. And it's, as this season has been continually reminding us, there isn't time for indecisiveness no. when ice demons are marching south and yeah i think that that scene really works and it kind of sets off the chain of events that eventually lead to sam leaving the citadel um the only i mean there's a couple of things i would do want to talk about like again the raven it gets sent in one scene and we're already talking about it arriving in the next scene mm. um which is something that has happened in this show before but this in in, in this episode it feels like it is happening at breakneck speed um literally just one scene to the next the letter gets sent a letter arrives there's letters all over davos on gets overdrive. on the boat davos gets off the boat <laughs> exactly so yeah um but Sam leaving the Citadel, it's another big moment that just sort of happens and it gets forgotten about as soon as it's over. Like yeah. the difference between Sam arriving at the Citadel and him leaving, him leaving should be huge. It should, yeah. Like giving up on his lifelong dream to become a wizard, to become a maester. We spent ages watching him elegantly and beautifully enter the Citadel five episodes ago. And it just feels like something that had kind of been coming for Sam for four or five seasons. I appreciate that some people might like the fact that it all ends with a bit of a whimper, but I don't feel like it's that much of an emotional ordeal for Sam to go in this episode. It does feel very much like, uh, well, uh, he got frustrated and left. And mm. I don't know if that's the intention. Like, I get that, you know, uh, sometimes you just have to cut ties and you have to get out of there and, like, that's the point the show's making. But for me, it feels a bit hurried. This feels like, again, another another moment that may have defined his storyline for the season. This is something that would have happened in episode uh, eight. If, if it was, like, a long, lengthy, you know, proper length season of ten episodes, this may have happened in, like, episode eight. Yeah, yeah. And it's like we'd spent five, six episodes there and without really achieving much. And that's the point is that, you know, just because it's your lifelong dream, it's like, you know, the thrill of the chase, you know, it excites you when you're after it. And then, you know, the gazelle never tastes as good as the tiger thinks or whatever animals or lions, lions go after gazelles, don't they? So um, here's me brushing up on my animal kingdom knowledge. But yeah, um, we all learned yeah, something but, this week. Uh, yeah. So, you know, like that's, that's it. Like, you know, when lions are chasing after their prey, it never tastes as good as they imagined it would when they were chasing it. And I imagine that that's kind of what's happening with Sam this week, but it just kind of goes by in an instant. Mm. And by the time you've emotionally prepared for the fact that Sam's leaving, you're off somewhere else. You're at another location and yeah. And something else is happening and some, some other piece of big information is being dropped on you. Yeah. But the one time they do skip over quite a huge piece of information in this episode that I really like is when they bury it in that scene and make it seem like a bit of a throwaway moment. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's the um, uh, Prince Raga stuff. Yeah. The fact that Gilly of all people basically confirmed it. Yeah. Yeah. She gets a big moment. Um, so what, what are your takeaways from that scene? Like what, what piece of information has been revealed basically, if you can extrapolate it. Well, from what I take of it, um, so Raga was uh, Raga was married to somebody, but had the marriage annulled to be with who we assumed to be Lyanna Stark. Yeah. Right? I don't know who it was with originally, but... It was uh, Elia Martel. You ah. raped her. You murdered her. You killed her children. Like, uh, that was... Uh, so, yeah, he was married to Elia Martel, and then you right. remember the story... Okay. Uh, you remember the story that he rode past Elia Martel at that tourney and put the, uh, as Littlefinger says in season five, he placed a crown of winter roses in Lyanna's lap and all the smiles died. And um, basically that was confirmation that he was in love with Lyanna Stark and not Elia Martel, the mother of his children. Um, but it, yeah, this was something that was quite explosive. And I think basically because you can extrapolate it from the, ep the episode, I don't think it's a spoiler to say, which is that things are, quite different going forward if John is the son of a married couple isn't it yeah things become a little different looking forwards and 
claims to thrones and and things like that, don't That's they? That's very so, true. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I I agree. So yeah, we'll uh, we'll we'll definitely come back to that again at some point, I'm sure, because now there are two people out there in the world who are aware of certain things. So Bran is aware that Jon is the son of Lyanna Stark and Rhaegar Targaryen. Mm -hmm. And Sam is aware, and Gilly is aware, so it's three people that... I suppose Sam is technically aware. He was in the room when Gilly revealed it, but he was also deep in his own thoughts, and then he went off on a big rant about shit. Yes, the uh, 10,782 steps or shits or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. Gilly... uh, Gilly rightly corrects him. But yeah, just uh, just a p- piece of information that's floating about in the ether there. Mm. <laughs> what else could she do? Not burn him alive alongside his son? I am her hand, not her head. I can't make her decisions for her. That's what I used to tell myself about her father. I found the traitors, but I wasn't the one burning them alive. I was only a purveyor of information what I told myself when I watched them beg for mercy. I'm not the one doing it. And the pitch of their screams rose higher. I'm not the one doing it. When their hair caught fire and the smell of the burning flesh filled the throne room, I'm not the one doing it. Okay, so this is where the episode gets kind of hard to divide up. So basically, because stuff happens on Dragonstone, either side of what happens in King's Landing this week... I've split the Dragonstone stuff into two. So, in part one, on Dragonstone, Daenerys returns to the island and meets with Jon, who pets Drogon for the first time and calms the dragon down. And after a brief conversation with Jon, Daenerys then reunites with Sejora, who has returned to her service after being cured of Greyscale. Later, Varys and Tyrion express concerns that Daenerys is not listening to their advice to take Westeros without an excess of bloodshed. During a war council, Jon receives word that Bran and Arya are alive and that the White Walkers are finally descending on the wall. Jon turns to Daenerys for assistance in the fight against them once more, which is when Tyrion suggests that pausing the war between Cersei and Daenerys could buy them time to travel beyond the wall, find evidence of the army of the dead, and display it to Cersei as proof. Um, I cannot believe those words come out of my mouth. Um... But, uh, yeah, <laughs> what do you make of the first half of the Dragonstone stuff this week? Um, a real mixed bag. Um, I thought, Oh, yeah. Yeah, I thought John meeting with Drogon was very good. I, I did put that's where all the budget went for this episode then, of course. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, the way Daenerys looks at John as he pets Drogon... Does she maybe suspect she knows something about John that he doesn't? Maybe. Because I, um, I can't yeah. recall a time where someone other than Daenerys has been able to get close to one of the dragons without basically being incinerated. Yeah, pretty much. Um, a lot of people were wondering at the time where like Daenerys is looking at John like, oh, he's good with the kids. That's, uh, <laughs> that's helpful. Um, but yeah, I think that there is a... I don't think Daenerys wonders like, oh, is this kid a Targaryen or whatever? But I think it's more like, is there something special about him? Yeah, there's, there must because be something about him. immediately after he... Yeah, immediately after he touches Drogon, she's like asking him about Davos's comment about taking a knife in the heart. And oh, yeah, yeah. Like, she's sort of thinking like, hmm, what, is there something weird going on with this guy? Like, you know, th- there's something worth investigating there, I think. And that's kind of what it is. Um, yeah. There's a... Less of a, oh, is he a Targaryen and more of a, is is he special? Um, you know, because clearly there's a, you know, there's a few doe eyes going on again this week between the two of them. And it's just this, you know, it's another step on the process towards them becoming very, very good friends, potentially. But you're related. Say. Like, okay, we have another related couple in this show <laughs> and they've just had some big news. More on that later. But... No, don't do that. Oh, the, uh, the, yeah, the, the Targaryens do not give a stuff about... Um, I mean, if you want to go all the way back and read about Aegon Targaryen and his sister wives, oh, um, then, you know, be my guest. That guy restarted the whole calendar of Westeros. That's why uh, at the moment, I think in the story, we're in sort of like 300 AC and it's post-Aegon's coming 
and he named King's Landing <laughs> and all of that. So, yeah, if you, you want to read about Aegon and his sister wives, then, uh, yeah, go ahead. The Targaryens of... Wed families have wed within the families uh, and wed and bred within the family for centuries. <laughs> yeah, if you want to read about Aegon and his coming, then you know where to look. Um, I did also like Jorah coming back. Um, it again, yeah. it did feel a bit slapped in the middle of the episode. Like this could have been, yeah, a, like you say, it could have been a sort of late season end of episode type thing. But, um. Yeah. But anyway, it's it's nice to see him back, and he did give John that look of like, you better not be trying to steal my girl, there, John. That's so funny. He returns to his Khaleesi only to find another young strapping bloke there already. Not another like, one. He's finally got rid of Dario, and now <laughs> now John's there. But yeah, I, I I agree. Where like John touching a dragon is huge. It is. Yeah. The, the implications are massive. Yeah. And then Jorah reuniting with Daenerys is also huge. Yeah. But they get bumped into the same scene. And it's just like, why? They could have just separated them apart or done something different. But yeah, there are so many reunions in this part of the episode, like between Dragonstone and King's Landing, oh, where geez. it's just like, yeah. it's just, you know, you've got Jorah and Daenerys reuniting for the first time in 10 episodes. Yep. You've got Tyrion and Jaime reuniting for the first time in however many episodes. You've got... Um, I'm trying to think of the other one now that I had in my head and it's gone. Um, and you have Davos and Gendry yeah, yeah. reuniting for the first time in nearly four seasons in King's Landing. And it's just like too many things bumping together for me. And like The Winds of Winter is one of those episodes where it's like, what doesn't happen this week? But that episode has such an elegant pace to it. And yeah. every single moment in that episode is emotionally rewarding devastating whatever you want whatever that episode wants you to feel you feel it whereas with this i get what they're going for by trying to put so many big events together but it just feels way too overstuffed and i think jorah coming back right after john's touched a dragon is like the probably the most egregious example of two really emotionally amazing moments bumping together and then not quite having the same effect. It's like people who put like, I don't know, um, let's see, a big cake and like a bacon butty together. <laughs> like two great things separately, but yeah. together, no, it's sensory overload. And so I prefer in this episode scenes like the next one where Tyrion and Varys are talking about how they absolve themselves of blame yeah, and try exactly, to yeah. justify their service to Daenerys and try to justify their service to previous kings when they do awful, you know, they carry out awful acts. And like it turns out that Varys has already been there and he realises that the only way is to actually use his influence and talk them round. Mm, yeah. And instead of just sort of standing there going, well, I'm not the one doing it. I'm not the one doing it. It's 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 him. I'm, you know, I'm not the, really the one to blame here. Like instead of, you know, it's, it's interesting watching the, the... Machin- the inner machinations of people who are culpable when acts of treachery are carried out, they may not be directly responsible, but they've pushed a person there or they've done something. And it's, again, part of the show's wider point, which is that there aren't, there aren't necessarily good or bad people who do good or bad things. It's mm. that bad things happen sometimes because lots of well-meaning people might push them there. And the, there's a system going on that everybody just kind of partakes in and never questions because it's worked and there's no need to disrupt the established order that much but it does end up with things like Daenerys burning the Tarleys to death yeah it's like the road to hell was paved with gold sort of thing yeah definitely uh yeah what, what did you make of that scene yeah no I really liked it and because you know just comparing it to the previous scene it feels more natural it feels like a conversation they would really have rather than I don't know, in the previous scene, what? Is is Jorah just going to stand in the backdrop? It's like, okay, I'll let him stroke the dragon for a bit and then I'll turn up. Yeah. It kind of sucks you out at the moment. Definitely. Yeah, this, this does feel like, yeah, the two having doubts about this whole operation, like knowing, you know, what, like what's the alternative? They're going to go back to King's Landing? No, it's not going to happen. But it's that fear that you're not getting through to someone and it might already be too late. And then... We get the 
the scene around the painted table, mm-hmm. which I don't like. <laughs> no. Um, so bring the dead to her is probably what? the stupidest idea of the yeah. show ever has. Like, <laughs> I just, I'm honestly, this week and next week, I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna, sp- I'm not gonna spoil it massively, but I'm not a fan of next week's episode either. Like, okay. <laughs> I like it more than this week, but the go beyond the wall and capture a white thing is like, what the fuck? Like, what are you talking? What are you doing? Yeah. Like, I just, I just think it is. I mean, maybe it's not stupid. Maybe stupid isn't the right word. Maybe it's just the most conventional thing. And when Game of Thrones does something this so obviously conventional, it's a bit of a shock to the system. And it's just the fact that nobody says, uh, are you sure about this? Like, it's just the way that they all just sort of... I don't know if it's because they're all in love with Daenerys and they're trying to prove who's bravest and best or something like that, but it's just the mm. way that, like, Jorah's like, with 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 the Queen's permission, I'll go north and take one. And then John's like, well, I've fought them before. You'll need my help. And then... <laughs> and it's just like, what is going on? Like, I'm trying to think in my head, I still, to this day, like... <sighs> I mean, first of all, okay, there is something I love about this scene, which is Daenerys' face when Jon says that he's going to go off and find them, like, and go off yeah. and be valiant and stuff. Because she's, like, she's clearly worried for his safety and, like, you know, they're getting closer together and there's the whole thing that we'll come to in a bit with the, um, I've grown used to, I've grown used to him when Jon's like, you know, bet you'll be fine with the King of the North not being around anymore and stuff like that. But, like, it's just so soon after the something is devastating as the the attack last week by Daenerys is that we've just done a full 180 crazy and now we are going beyond the wall and trying to send seven blokes out into a field of a hundred thousand dead soldiers trying to take one and bring it all the way back to King's Landing for a truce or something but yeah we've got to convince our mortal enemy that this thing exists even though we could just go and fight it ourselves and you know put forces behind it and you know use things like the dragons and dragon glass and pour resources into that rather than the iron throne which increasingly feels like a vanity project Yes, um, and like I will say that like I do enjoy next week's episode. I enjoy every episode of Game of Thrones on a, on yeah. a you know on, yeah. on some level. I have to. I like you know I enjoy every single episode. There isn't an episode in the show that I just full on don't like. But I think this is the creakiest idea the show ever had. Like it's just full on creaky. Like I think the show nearly because it's become so big and because it's working so hard to tie things up for the the end. To, to, to sort of make the last season as focused as it possibly can be on, you know, a very small number of things so that they can take it to the finish. The trimming down that goes on in this episode as ju- and, and, like, the, the sudden shift, it's like, I think you need two or three episodes to adjust to the fact that the start of the season is going to have nothing to do with the actual... It feels like the season has sort of ended here yeah, like the yeah. the arcs that were set up in the first couple of episodes for the season, they've all kind of been completed in this episode. And what's coming afterwards is something completely different. Like, there's nothing in the first couple of episodes of the season of the show planning to, like, potentially send John beyond the wall. The plan was to send him south yeah. and meet Daenerys. And yeah, okay, once you meet Daenerys, then things have to happen. and like, But, like, there's just... It feels like it's lurched from one episode to the next. And this is, like, the the, the big focus last week and halfway through this week was still Daenerys' conquest of Westeros. And now it's the Dirty Dozen Seven Samurai going out beyond the wall to capture a white and, like, oh, all the lads heading off into danger and... And there is there is context for this in the show like you know people sending parties out beyond the wall to go and investigate something but this is like we are going john has seen the army of the dead and it's like 
yeah, I'm going to walk into that and try and nick one. Like, uh, yeah. I don't know. It doesn't really ring that true to me. It just feels like the show realizes that it has to do something in order to, you know, put another roadblock in the way of Daenerys's invasion of Westeros. And it turns out that it's having her heart turned away from the Iron Throne very briefly so that Jon can go and capture a white and they can pause hostilities for a bit. I'll leave you to it. I needed to see you. And I knew you'd never agree to meet. You made me look like a complete fool. I thought I'd surprise you by hitting Gosterly Rock. But you were three steps ahead of me. Abandoned the family home, completely unsentimental. Father would have been proud. Don't talk about father. Listen to I me. I once told Bronn that if I ever saw you again, I'd cut you in half. It'll take you a while with a sparring sword. In King's Landing, Jaime returns to the capital and pleads with Cersei that they cannot win the war against Daenerys through combat alone. He also reveals that Olena admitted to poisoning Joffrey. Later, having been smuggled into King's Landing by Davos as part of this get-a-truce plan, and then by Bronn, Tyrion meets with Jaime for the first time since Jaime set Tyrion free from the dungeons and then went and killed Tywin. After a few harsh words, the two brothers agree to a temporary ceasefire. Jaime then relays the message to Cersei, who is already well aware of the meeting between her brothers, and she agrees, stating that a truce may be beneficial to their cause at this current time. She also implies to him, and then tells him, that she is pregnant, planning to publicly reveal that Jaime is the father, and then warns him to never betray her again. During this time, Davos searches for, and then locates, Gendry Baratheon, hey. who would return to King's Landing after escaping Dragonstone. Eager to start another life, Gendry immediately agrees to leave with Davos and helps Tyrion and Davos escape the capital by killing two corrupt City Watch guards. Um, yeah, the King's, Land, the King's Landing stuff is fine. Like, Gendry coming back, it was not yeah. essential, but I was, you know, at the time, it, it was a bit of a, like, Oh, where's Gendry gone? Are we going to wrap this up? Like, you know, what 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 what's going on with this? Like, where where is that little rascal? And so the show's like, oh yeah, we'll bring him back in this episode. Fine, you know, <laughs> we'll have him as part of the team. Yeah, it's one of my um my favorite bits of trivia I found when I was looking up this episode. Actually, um, you know this um Davos's line to Gendry about him thinking he was still rowing. Oh, I thought he might still be rowing. Yeah. Yeah, and it's um a joke among the fans about how. It started after Joe Dempsey. Um, he made a tweet saying, still rowing after the children in 2014. Yes, he did. And, yeah, it's, so it's a, a little nod and a wink to that. Oh. Yes, a little uh, little bit of a meta moment there. The writer's having a bit of fun. Yeah. Winking at the fans. Yes, we understand. Um, yeah, gee, that feels like a lifetime ago. <laughs> it really was. Like, it really was a lifetime ago. Um, it's cool to see him back. Uh but, like, it's just another reunion that's just, like, I don't know, just, like, it's just another reunion where it's just, like, it just it, it races through it, and it's like, oh, Gendry's back, oh, what? And by the yeah. time you've even breathed, he's talking to John and, like, going, like, rah, 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 and beyond the wall. And is this the character, by the way, who's in three locations this week? Davos. That you were talking about. Um, yeah, Davos and Gendry are both in three locations this week. Oh, yeah, because Gendry That's... goes back to Dragonstone, right? Yeah, wow. Yeah, oh, God. So two characters who've wow. been yeah. in three locations, for God's sake. Yeah, I mean, it's happened in it happened in the first season where I think Tyrion was at uh, Castle Black at the start of an episode and then at the end of the crossroads at the end of the episode, but... It didn't feel like the it didn't feel like the plot was hurrying along. It felt like no. the story was going at a decent pace, but the the the, the but the, yeah, the the plot in this I think that's the problem is that there is no there isn't much story to this episode. No, there's a lot of plot to it, but there's not much story. And it's yeah, I think Gendry coming back is one of those things where it's like what a great moment, kind of. Uh, but. It's like, that should be, I think, the big event that gets given the most priority. Again, it's, pri it's priorities, that's it. This episode does not know what to prioritise. And it ends yeah. up throwing everything at you. And, yeah, the, the reveal is cool. Like, when did you realise it was Gendry? Like, did you sort of get that it might be him when they were doing the armoury stuff? Or was he just completely out of your mind? I think it was even before that when um, 
Davos said he had business to attend to. It's like, oh, okay, yeah. Um, because obviously I remembered that that's where he was in season one before he was shipped off to the wall with Arya and Hot Pie. Yeah. But yeah, so, um, uh, yeah. two reunions in King's Landing this week and they both just, they're both just there. When they, they are big moments in and of themselves, but they don't feel like it. Yeah, As Jamie and Tyrion yeah. meeting up again. Like, they're on screen together for like two minutes and it's not about their reunion really. It's more about, I'm here to move the plot forward, Jamie. And Jamie's <laughs> like, okay, I'll just go and move the plot forward upstairs with Cersei. And then Cersei's like, yep. I knew you two were moving the plot forward, but I've agreed. <laughs> and like, yeah, it just... I can't believe the amount of stuff that's in this episode. Like, in King's Landing this week, it's just bombshell after bombshell after bombshell. Like, not... not right, so Cersei finds out that Olena poisoned Joffrey. <laughs> yeah. Jamie considers going for a truce because he realises that they can't win. Tyrion and Jamie reunite. Um, Gendry and Davos reunite, and Gendry comes back to the show... After Tyrion and Jamie reunite, Cersei reveals that not only did she know that Jamie and Tyrion were going to reunite, but that she's pregnant and that she's agreed to a truce. Oh, and it's like, God. what the hell? It's just so much stuff in this episode. And another sighting of Kevin Eldon. I was going to say, on top of all that, Kevin Eldon yeah. comes back as a different character. <laughs> yeah, what yeah, he got fuck? bored of the acting troupe in Bravos, and now he's a city watch guard. Uh, <laughs> fuck me. Like... Because Jamie and Tyrion's re- reunion, in, it should be huge. It, like, it should, should be, be an yeah. episode-defining deal, but it passes within three minutes. And they both sell it. I will say it's nothing against their performances because they they do put genuine like raw emotion into it. Like yeah, the performances are great. Like you betrayed me, you killed our fucking father, and then you just ran away. And like yeah, that like you say that should be huge, but it is just like. Hi, Jamie. Um, listen, can you go upstairs and say this is Cersei? Yeah, all right. Okay, nice seeing you. Mm. Bye. Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, one thing I will say, that a nice little character thing from this uh, King's Landing stuff is that Cersei thinks that her becoming pregnant again is evidence of her beating the prophecy. Yeah. She's like, fourth kid. Hey, this is something that the witch never promised. That's true, And actually, it's like... Yeah. I've got something here. Like, I've got something to hold on to. And Cersei with a child to protect is a very different prospect from Cersei who is childless. Yeah, Cersei who was just looking after a kingdom and sort of holding on to it by the tips of her fingers. Yeah, it's it's exactly that. I hadn't actually thought of that, but yeah. Yeah. I also liked um, just one real quick thing. I did like um, Davos... um, Davos's little performance to the guards. It's good seeing him in action, isn't it? As a smuggler. Yeah. Getting definitely. a window into a former life. Yeah. Yeah. I wish we'd I'd seen hurry more to of your that. Li- Yeah, I'd hurry to your nearest establishment or you might just put a hole in that chain meal. <laughs> <laughs> I should warn yeah. you, you should probably let the first one settle before you have any more. <laughs> they want to go beyond the wall too. We don't want to go beyond the wall, we have to. Our Lord told us that the Great War is coming. Don't trust him. Don't trust any of them. They're the Brotherhood. And the last thing their Lord told them to do was sell me to a Red Witch to be murdered. Doris. I hardly recognised you. Zora Mormont. They won't give me anything to drink down here. I haven't been feeling like myself. Okay, so, back on Dragonstone, the plan is put into motion. Jon, Jorah, Gendry and Davos will sail to Eastwatch and then head beyond the wall to secure evidence of the White Walkers, while Daenerys and Tyrion and her other advisors will remain on Dragonstone during the temporary ceasefire. After Tyrion and Jorah, again another reunion, after Tyrion and Jorah briefly reunite with each other, several characters bid emotional farewells. Daenerys indicates that she wishes to see Jon return, stating that she has very much grown used to the King in the North being on the island. The group then reach Eastwatch via boat, where they encounter Tormund, Sandor, Beric and Thoros, as well as several wildlings and members of the Brotherhood. And after a brief conversation, where it's decided that Davos will stay at the castle, Jon, Tormund, Sandor, Beric, Thoros, Jorah and Gendry 
venture out beyond the wall and head out into the snowstorms in an attempt to find evidence of the undead. Uh, the stuff at Eastwatch is actually pretty cool. I like the stuff at Eastwatch. Once they get there... Um, but I guess we'll talk about the Dragonstone stuff first, the scene where they're all leaving, and Gendry is also there. Um, yeah. What did you make of that stuff? Aside from a few moments, this didn't really do it for me. I did like the Tyrion-Jorah reunion. I thought it was quite sweet. It seems like Tyrion does genuinely appreciate having him around. It's like... Yeah. When he's there, Daenerys is a lot more grounded. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, the little I did miss you moment, like, you know, it's two sort of like people who maybe don't quite know how to express their feelings to each other because they, you know, they, they've, they went through a lot together, but they didn't exactly become best mates. And yeah. then yeah. Tyrion did kind of hand Jorah into Daenerys a little bit when, the, when they finally reached Marine. But yeah, I think that this is... It's nice. Like I, I like. I love the fact that Gendry's kind of had it with all the lies and secrets. Like he just kind of comes out with it to John. We're two bastard sons of two best friends. Like mm, about that. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, okay. You know, on the surface yeah, they yeah. are. Um, but you know, the only problem is that I wish Gendry had mentioned Arya to John. Oh yeah. I wish he'd yeah. said I-, I spent time with your sister or something. But that that's only a nitpick. Um, but yeah, it like. It's more the stuff between characters who've been on screen together all season that kind of gets me going in the goodbye scenes, like um, Daenerys and Jon together. and But, like, Jorah's just reunited with Daenerys and he's off again. And, like, oh, God, he reunited with her in this episode. Could they not have had two or three episodes together just sort of hanging around in each other's company and just sort of, like, chatting with each other and learning yeah. about their stories. And I, I honestly think that Benioff and Wise are so... And I understand why they are. They are so averse to characters just kind of recounting their stories to each other that instead of writing something where they don't just recount their stories to each other and they attempt to do something a little bit different, I, I think they just avoid them altogether. And so instead of having Jorah and Daenerys kind of talk to each other about what they've been doing since they last saw each other and like, oh, this, this young Tarly lad you know, uh, it cured me of, of grayscale and stuff like that. It, instead of just having him tell her that, we just don't see it and it's just implied and it's off camera. And it just means yeah. that the three scenes that Jorah has with Daenerys in this episode are a reunion, a wish to get away, to fight for or somewhere else, and then him leaving. Yeah. And it's like, oh God, that all happened in one episode. And it feels like it should have happened two episodes ago. It feels like there's a missed beat somewhere. Yeah, a lot of missing beats, I think. Um, when they get to Eastwatch, it's a fun idea to get all these characters together. All the hmm. interesting contrasts and colliding stories. Um, there's context for a small group going out beyond the wall, like Corin Halfhand. I think it maybe would have been necessary to mention him here because he's led small parties beyond the wall. And like he said, like, oh, you know, it works best if you move in small groups beyond the wall because... Like you never know, you know what you're gonna find, and if you make too much noise, you know, you know, you don't want a big army up there because you'll just get surrounded. Yeah. Um, what did you make of all those little little scenes, like the stuff in the jail cell and round the table and all that? Again, I feel like there's a missing beat somewhere. I would have liked to have known how, you know, Sandor and Beric and Thoros actually got there because the last we saw of them, they were at that house. Well, it gets mentioned that they just, Tormund and that, just sort of found them near Eastwatch and decided to arrest them and put them in the prison. Right, okay. That was it. Yeah, I mean, it still would have, like, if we'd seen that previously, yeah. there would have been something like, I don't know, John mentions going to Eastwatch, and it's like, it sort of clicks in your brain, it's like, oh, all of these people are at Eastwatch as well. Instead, you yeah. just cut to the scene, it's like, yep, there they are, they're all there. Okay. Yes, we're not seeing things. It's just kind of like it's they're no deliberately missing beats out. Yeah. No, not not many payoffs. Um, I like that they they do a little reference to the books in this where Jorah and Thoros know each other from previous uh, wars. Yeah. Where they've been on the same side, and there's little things like that from before the TV series started, and that's that's nice. That I, I think you know, um, there are some some nice little beats like Gendry reminding us that he was sold off by the Brotherhood and things like that. Um, 
And I don't think the plan is ludicrous to the point where it makes zero sense. Like, I think that Tyrion is just desperate. I think that, like, Tyrion's mm. so desperate for a, an end to all the, the war and bloodshed that, like, his idea is to be like, let's put, let's completely pause all war and hostility at the moment. Let's just, let's, I don't know, let, anything to avoid mass bloodshed in King's Landing. Let's, let's get a truce. What can I do to get a truce going? Oh, I know. And, you know, let, let's get us all fighting on the same side and stuff. Because I think the closer Tyrion gets to King's Landing, the more he realises that Jaime is there. Yeah. And he saw it last week with Tyrion coming, uh, Jaime coming up against the dragon. And he's like, I don't want that to happen again. You know, no, Bronn won't be able course, to save yeah. him a second time. Yeah. And so, yeah, like, it's not completely ludicrous. And it makes for a pretty fun episode next week, I think. Like, the try and capture a white beyond the wall sort of thing. But... Yeah, all the time they're having all these conversations. I'm like, is anyone going to stop and ask whether this is even a good idea? Because they all seem like, yeah, fuck it, let's do it. Like, there's no, there's no one going. Eh, should we? I don't know. Should we plan this a little bit differently? But there's like, there's it. There's, there's no time for that, as John would say. There's no time for planning. There's no time. <laughs> there's just no. That, that's the theme of this season. It's just John going. There's just no time. We need allies because we have no time. And uh, yeah. I have watched better episodes of this show. In fact, every other episode of this show is better than this one. So, yeah. Interesting, because I, I don't know if I like this better than no one. And obviously Unbowed, yeah. but that's I feel like that's different reasons. But, yeah. Well, I mean, what do you make of that shot when they go out into the snow? Because it's supposed to be a cool shot, and it is cool. So what do you think? It's all right. It's yeah, you know, like compared to the last episode, which was full of cool shots, it was like one every other frame. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's it's small fry. Yeah, it's it's a lot. This episode, it is a lot. It's one I don't really look forward to that much mm. on rewatches, to be honest. Um, I just think that this is the one episode of the season where I wish they'd split it into three. Definitely, yeah. Um, but you know there are loads of I think the thing is there are loads of creative and business reasons why they didn't do 10 episodes in season 7 I think this is a good point to talk about it now where like okay, they get big budgets but they get big well they get massive budgets the biggest budgets on TV at this point but only up to a point right. like they have a plan for the season they go to HBO HBO say we can give you this much money and they go okay and the other thing as well is that the actors get paid per episode and it was rumoured at the time that the main five on the bill, which was Amelia Clark, Kit Harrington, Peter Dinklage, Nikolai Costa-Waldo and uh, Lena Headey, they were all earning $250,000 an episode by this point. And right. I think it, yeah. they, they were renegotiating for season eight. And so they had to kind of shorten the episode count because like, you're paying out $2.5 million a season if you're going to 10 episodes. And yeah. That's a lot of that's a massive hole in the budget, especially if you're trying to do things like the spoils of war, where you've got dragons on screen every twenty seconds and like thousands of extras and and all these other big things that have collided this season and come together. And so, you know, I, I also think as well that Benioff and Weiss they said from the beginning that this would be uh, seven seasons. You know, seven books, seven hells, seven gods, seven seasons. Like, it all just sort of made sense to them. And then they realised about the time of season four or five. Like, season four was supposed to be the middle season. But they realised by the point of season five that they had more to tie up than they thought. And so they decided to go on for a bit longer. But yeah. not to 80 episodes. You know, they did 73 in the end. And so, you know, and what we get, like, it's decent. But I think that this is a relatively weak story idea coupled with it in that's kind of buried inside an episode where too much happens for me to process it i think yeah definitely the, yeah th there's some good stuff in this episode but it's all buried underneath far too much for me i think yeah it's funny that it's actually only two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. like because i'm thinking i'm sure um like God, Sheldon in the Big Bang Theory was making like a million around the same time. I know, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, it was only rumours. It may have been $500,000 and I'm misremembering, but it was a large amount of money and... Oh, yeah, yeah it's, it's not yeah. it's not chump change, but... No, yeah. definitely not. 
Yeah. But anyway, that's enough of Eastwatch. Uh, I want your favourite line of the episode, Lizzie. Um, nothing fucks you harder than time from Davos. Yeah, I think yeah, I think that's a pretty uh, pretty wise choice to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who's your who's your loser this week? Uh, another really tough one. Don't want to really say Daenerys again because she didn't do anything particular. Well, she did at the beginning, but sorry. yeah. I'm just gonna say uh, Archmaster Ebros. Yes. Uh, yeah. Not a not a bad pick there, actually. Um, yeah. One for yeah, the road, a a stickler as well. Yes, bit of a stickler for the rules, and it is one for the road. That is the last that we see of him in Game of Thrones. Yeah. Uh, who is your winner this week? Uh, my winner this week. You know what? I'm going to say Davos. Yeah. All right then. Yeah. Does a lot of traveling. Yeah. Does a lot of smuggling. Does a lot of salesmanship. I think that's fair enough. Yes. All right, then. We'll be back next week with Season 7, Episode 6, which is entitled Beyond the Wall. I wonder what that's about. Um, As I said, our interview with Fabian Wagner will be out after the season finale, Season 7, Episode 7, in a couple of weeks. Uh, We will see you next time. 